0: All right. Hello again, baseball fans. Uh, my name is Eric Roseberry, uh, here for the Banish to the Pen podcast, uh, talking to everyone's favorite baseball fan from
1: across the pond today. Uh, Darius, say hi to the internet. Hello, everyone. I don't know how much competition I've got in uh, favorite baseball <laughs> fan from across the pond, but I'll take
0: it. Well, you're our favorite, so... Uh, Yeah, with that, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give myself an excuse if I say anything stupid. It's uh, 6 a.m. where I'm at, and so we've made this work. I've got my coffee uh, still a little foggy, so if I get something wrong today, I appreciate a little little bit of grace. You'll probably hear me making another cup here soon, but uh, Darius, one of the things we wanted to talk about today uh recently uh you had looked over some staff predictions we had done at banished to the pen uh prior to the season obviously we know uh, which teams are in the playoffs uh now uh talk a little bit about those predictions uh how did we do uh were there certain teams we had more trouble predicting than others and what'd you find from uh looking that stuff over again
1: uh, well, we, we actually did a lot better than last year, so we, we were basically last. <laughs> last year, we did pretty badly, um, and the effectively wild guests actually had the best predictions last year. Uh, but it's kind of almost reversed this year. Uh, it was pretty close between, uh, Fangraphs was very good, um, and so was were the BTTP writers. Uh, and then I also did a composite one of kind of averaging all the projections and one uh where well, we had the Picota predictions and I got all the effectively wild listeners to take the over or under and then I adjusted the the win total based on how confident we were in you know how many the percentage of people taking the over or under so those four all did pretty well they were kind of within uh a, a tenth of a win or two uh of each other in terms of the the average difference uh where we did particularly well uh, banished to the pen was we didn't really have any Uh, Massive misses to the extent of the others. Uh, The Twins were the team that everybody got wrong, really, really wrong. But we got them the least wrong only by 17 wins, (laughs) Uh, which kind of gives you an idea of how badly the Twins performed uh, relative to expectations at the start of the year. Uh, That was the best. Uh, And we only had a couple of others that were more than 10 wins out. That was the Rays and the Diamondbacks. And those were both kind of teams that other sets struggled with as well so we were actually the best uh, by root mean squared error which kind of penalizes uh predictions uh, more for for making those big mistakes so all in all it was a pretty good year for us uh, it was really the, the twins that killed everybody um that 17 was the the best as i said and uh actually um a couple of sets uh, davenport and uh the the BTP, uh the sorry the effectively wild guest uh, i can't remember who it was for the twins um might even have been Aaron Gleeman, Uh, missed them by 24 wins. Uh, Too many. So, So, yeah, uh, if you're a Twins fan, you're probably quite depressed hearing this right now, but they they were the one that really confounded everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, uh, So uh, across the board, uh, was -hmm. there, I mean, obviously I think the Cubs would be the clear answer, but was the handful of teams that most people got the most right, just they kind of uh this they were who we thought they were
1: yeah the cubs were we were good in the sense that everybody thought they would be the best and they were uh, everybody predicted them to be first um and they were obviously uh, first by a long way um so that w- that was right we actually weren't that close really in terms of the number of wins um the uh, i think it was uh Mark Armour and Dan Levitt uh on the effectively wild were the only ones who got quite close to the cubs win total they were just one win under the 103 Uh, but the teams that that we actually got closest to uh, on average were the Yankees Um, it was just over one win out on average across all the projections uh, and the Braves uh, and the Giants again the Giants always seem to be last year they were one of the easiest to predict and it seems to be the case again Uh, they were just under a win and a half out on average so those three were kind of the most predictable teams this year, I would say. Uh, and the Cubs were just even better than we thought we would, they, we would. they would be at the start of the year. I guess people don't really want to predict 100 wins for a team. So that kind of messed it up. Sure, sure. And well, I mean, you've looked at
0: this more than I would guess most people have. Do you feel like there's anything you've really learned about predicting win totals or teams in the preseason from looking at a couple years worth of predictions that various sites have made?
1: Yeah, I think uh, certainly having the the adjusted Pakota one seemed to help. Uh, we improved on Pakota's predictions by about half a win on average, just by getting the fans to sort of correct those those major outliers. So seven of Pakota's eight worst predictions were improved uh, by getting some fan input. So we uh, we reduced the Rays win total by five. Uh I think don't know if you remember, but Pocota was super high on the Rays preseason. It had him at ninety wins at one point. Wow, I forgot that, yeah. yeah. Uh so that, that was a big improvement over Pocota, And then also we moved the Orioles total up. I think Pakota had it about uh seventy-four wins for the Orioles pre Uh so while it was still a decent amount out, uh there was quite a big improvement on that side. So I think there might be something to that those big outliers. Uh, where kind of combining the the human input with the projection systems does seem to help a little bit. Um, But the other thing I would say from doing this a couple of years in a row and having the effectively wild guests do quite well last year and then do pretty miserably this year uh, is that, you know, this is pretty difficult Um, and there doesn't seem to be one set so far from what I've discovered that's uh, clearly better. Um, We've done pretty well this year and we did pretty badly last year so I'm still kind of trying to hone it and see if there's anything else I can do, and I might might try something else along the lines of the adjusted Pakota one next year to maybe see if I can further improve uh, the accuracy, but at the moment it it does seem like nobody's really demonstrated a clear ability to project the the wind totals better than anyone else. Yeah, and
0: I think we figured out from a few years of doing this, this is a A hard thing to do, uh, which I don't think is that surprising, but uh, one team that kind of surprised everybody this season was the Rangers. Uh, How did uh, because I'm blanking uh, how did particular systems look at the Rangers before the year? How did we do uh, what what did people think they were going to be before the season?
1: Uh, I think we were actually the best on the Rangers. Uh, We were still eight wins low, but we were the only uh, prediction uh, that had them uh, winning more than 85, I think. Uh, so most mostly, I think, the other sets had them kind of in third place behind the Astros uh, and the Mariners. Um, so, the, yeah, they they outperformed quite a lot, and I, I think maybe there's something to be learned from that as well. Obviously, it's, it's kind of easy to forget that they won the division last year, um, and for them to kind of be predicted as a, like, sort of high 70s, low 80s win team did seem like a pretty big come down. On the other hand, they got super lucky, uh, so... <laughs> Uh, well, it's, it's looking like their postseason might come
0: to a quick end, which we can yeah, get into. Yeah, I in certainly second.
1: didn't think they were a 95-win team. Uh, I think our 87 might have been kind of much closer to what their actual true talent was. Uh, so I, I think they were probably um, one of the harder teams to predict preseason because we didn't really know what we were going to get out of Darvish and true. Sure. Uh, I think that they got some, I mean, the bullpen, I'm not really sure if they're good or not. I couldn't tell by the end of the year. I know some stats said they were terrible, and but yeah, they won all these one-run games. And I think they broke the record, didn't they, for best uh, one-run game record. They were 35 and 10 or something ridiculous like that. Something crazy. Uh, so I think that was, yeah, pretty crazy. So um, this is the kind of thing that makes this really difficult to do consistently. I think even when you nail a team's talent level right, Uh, you can still be out by I think the Rangers probably had about a 10 win difference in the end between some of their uh, Pythag type projections and and what they actually put up so uh, at the end of the day it's a pretty difficult thing to do Um, and I should give a shout out to uh, Ross uh, Buckowitz who was the only one of the BTP writers who actually got a win total exactly right Uh, he he predicted exactly 73 wins for the Brewers so well done to Ross uh, for nailing that one Wow.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well done to Ross. So, uh, anything else you wanted to mention from these, or uh, will, is it? Would it be possible for us to put these up in the show notes for uh, listeners to look at?
1: Yeah. So I've I've got them uh, written up uh, already on on the site. So I just need to to hit publish. Really, uh, that I've got those okay all done. So uh, yeah. Hopefully, uh, but if by the time you're listening to this, they will be up on the site for everyone to look at. Okay great
0: awesome uh one thing i wanted to to ask you about with this i think people might be interested in uh those who have heard you uh on shows before uh you're a pretty big giants fan uh what time would the giants game have been on last night for you
1: uh it was 2 a.m okay and you did not stay up no i i didn't no i think um the last couple of World Series, what I've tended to do rather than try and stay up all night is just avoid everything. And it was particularly easy last time because I sort of just uh, moved, moved town and I wasn't actually working. So I could kind of get up in the morning uh, and just, you know, I have the you can do the thing on them or VTV where you don't have the scores displayed. So I would do that and just play the game without in full uh, like I was watching it live without knowing what the result was. So that game seven, I had no idea whether the, the Giants or the Royals were going to win um but it is it is difficult uh I didn't really think about this when I first started following baseball how many of the Giants games would be on super late uh so sometimes I get up and they're still playing which and then I just watch the eighth and ninth or something but uh most of the time I, I do tend to miss these live ones
0: so when we're all texting about the game and you're asleep you want us to check that out is that <laughs> well what you're I just at? know
1: not to look right like one of the good things about being in the UK is there aren't too many risks to me. It's not like if I was trying to avoid the result of a football game. Uh, you know, I'm not going to stumble across it probably on a, a news website or have yeah, one of my friends text me. So I just kind of know not to go on uh, Facebook or anything uh, to see the result and uh, get straight on MLB TV and watch it from there. So it's a bit of a, a balancing act, but I'm used to doing it at this stage. Oh, sure. Well, so
0: since you know what's happened, I'll ask you a little bit about last night um, you know, bullpen usage has obviously been kind of the hot topic of this postseason uh, Johnny Cueto looked really good last night and I think uh, had only given up uh, three hits at the time he gave up a, a ninth inning homer to Javi Baez any part of you wishing he was over 100 pitches at the time that, that Bochy might have gone to the bullpen or was it just he's been so good and the, the Giants bullpen's been so spotty that roll with him and see what happens
1: I think, yeah, you do have that fear. We have been so bad lately, but on the other hand, I don't think, and I know Madison Bumgarner is incredible, but I don't think we can just roll through this post-season just leaving the starters out there <laughs> indefinitely. I think at some point Bochy's got to say, okay, I, I trust uh, somebody else to get it done at this spot, uh, and if we can't, then we can't, but... Uh, when you're that deep into the game and I didn't see the whole thing so I don't know how Cueto was looking maybe you can say more about that but um, it sounded like oh it, he was really good like yeah. he it was one of his best starts I've
0: seen in some time
1: yeah so it sounded like you know it was a, a tight game Leicester was great Quato was great and he he just made one mistake and Byers put over the fence which is what Baez will do if he actually makes contact with the ball so uh, you know I, I can't blame him too much for that uh, I think perhaps sabermetrically the uh Numbers would dictate that you go to reliever there, but this might also be one of those situations where the difference isn't really that great because it's not like we have an Andrew Miller or an Aroldis Chapman to go to in that spot. So. Right. Well, and who? one thing I wanted to ask, so
0: not about last night, what is it like being a Giants fan in the postseason and watching... Madison Bumgarner pitch do you just do you go into it assuming a win does it take any stress off of
1: it yeah it's kind of there's a bit of cognitive dissonance really like I've come into this knowing that the Cubs are so much better than we are as a team Uh, I have no illusions about that and the logical part of my brain just says that we're going to (laughs) lose and that that's it but uh, there's something about it uh, that just sort of makes you think even though it doesn't really make any sense you know Bumgarner isn't Clayton Kershaw, and we've even seen last night that Kershaw is certainly not infallible, uh, but something about it, and especially after that, that game seven, uh, where you just couldn't believe that he was still out there and still pitching, after he'd already pitched so much that postseason and he didn't really look like he was suffering from it. There is something there, uh, something intangible that you just kind of makes you believe even though it doesn't really make any sense that he should be able to keep doing it. So, yeah, it's a bit of a, a weird experience. Maybe it's kind of the reverse feeling to how Cubs fans feel about their postseason chances. I don't know. (laughs) You just kind of, even though it it doesn't make that much sense logically, I kind of do believe that we're always going to win when he pitches. So
0: yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a weird feeling watching the wildcard game and I got two or three innings in and I hadn't watched many giants games this year, but I was like, Oh yeah, it's Bumgarner in the postseason. And I had no expectation. The Mets would win that game from like the third inning on. Um, and yeah, it just... and
1: Syndergaard is incredible, obviously. And I said to uh, one of my uh, fellow UK baseball fans that you know he's a complete monster. But if I was going to pick anybody that I wanted to have in that game, then it would be Bumgarner. So, oh yeah, yeah. do you?
0: Uh, so he's pitching. He's scheduled to pitch Game Three, right, of the series. Yeah. Okay. The I mean, I've seen some people whisper. Don't completely count him out for Game
1: Five if that happens. Uh, yeah, certainly. I, I mean, Bochy is not going to hesitate to go to him. I think if we if we need him and with the bullpen the way it is, I would not be surprised if he does. But then you do have to wonder what's going on. It sort of just compounds itself really. And Bumgarner is incredibly durable, it seems, and, and able to handle this kind of workload. But if we're already going to him as in relief in game five of the DS, then I'm wondering, even if we can make it to the World Series, how he's possibly going to be able to hold up with the kind of usage we'll be getting out of him.
0: Yeah, I cannot imagine a better scene this postseason than uh, Game Five of this series at Wrigley. Bumgarner comes in in the third or fourth inning. Um, I don't know that it would get much better this postseason than than watching those few innings happen. So,
1: yeah, I know. Oh, I know but- Brandon has said that he just he, he can't handle that. He does not want to, <laughs> want to see that as that gets to Game Five. <laughs>
0: I am sure most Cubs fans do not want to see that happen. So um No, it's uh yeah, it's a nice thing to have on your team, certainly. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um speaking of which, I'll uh, I was watching the the wild card game with my wife, she watched the last few innings with me. I'll see if you agree with her assessment. Connor Gillespie was doing his interview after the game, uh, and her direct quote was you know exactly what he's going to look like as an old man, which seemed like a weird thing to say. But do you? <laughs> could you see that? Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I I suppose <laughs> I kind of see where she's coming from. I, I'll be honest; I hadn't put much uh, thought into that. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess there <laughs> I doubt are some- many people have. No. Does your wife say this kind of thing a lot when you go to, to baseball though?
0: No, uh I'm always surprised by uh and we can kinda of turn so uh, a couple nights ago she went to the game one of the Indians Red Sox series with me. And uh I think it I told I warned her, hey postseason games drag a little more than regular season games, which she likes watching baseball and so she's a she's a casual fan. Uh, but I think the the slow pace of the end of a close postseason game uh, drove her to uh, heckle somebody for the first time that I had ever heard, and I think it was halfway joking. Um, and I believe the line was "Hey, Pedroia, foul ball, much." And I think she was just ready to go, and uh, it was just a long at bat at the end of the game. Um, but but yeah, she she enjoys she enjoys watching so.
1: You get the same feeling. Uh, I felt like the fans were really irritated last night with how many uh, visits to the mound there were in the, the Nationals Dodgers game, and uh, they Kershaw kind of looked like he was struggling a bit, and he kept get him and Grandal kept having meetings, and then Scherzer wasn't on the same page with the, the rookie catcher Severino, and you could just sort of sense the frustration building each time there was another. <laughs> little conference you can just tell the fans were like please get on with this game now and the players were like this is the postseason we have to get it right Uh, but they, they just didn't have the patience for it yeah
0: it's I was listening on the radio and it seemed like a lot especially for for Kershaw like you said yeah there was a lot of stops and visits and obviously he I mean he I was really hoping uh, just for a dominant Kershaw start to kind of get a little over the narrative of his postseason struggles. And when he struck out the side in the first, I was like, all right, we're going to get it. This is going to be great. And then, you know, I think he gives up uh, three runs and uh, didn't look entirely sharp the rest of the time. So I'm sure we'll continue to hear uh, a little bit about that. Do you give much weight to the whole playoff Kershaw thing?
1: no i don't really I, I did think his approach was a little strange last night and they were talking about this on the broadcast i don't know if they were on the radio but certainly on the tv they were saying it was unusual to see him use so many of his pitches early on he seemed to like i think he threw uh four different pitches kind of within the first 20 uh, that he maybe wouldn't usually use the first time through the order it Was breaking out the curve and the Slider and that and uh, yeah, it seemed a little bit like uh, I don't know if that was something that they'd game planned for against the nationals, but it was kind of unusual uh, from previous starts. I haven't really seen Kershaw do that so early. Uh, so I'm not sure um, quite where that came from, but uh, it did seem to be a, a different approach for him. And I don't know whether that was you know, him kind of thinking, well, maybe my previous approach hasn't worked in these postseason games before and it was getting into his head. But he didn't look comfortable. When it, it, I don't know whether it was hot last night as well, but he looked like he was even kind of in the, the third and fourth. He looked like he was kind of laboring quite a lot. He was He was sweating quite heavily and he looked kind of less in control than I've usually seen him on the mound.
0: Oh yeah. Now as a Giants fan, is there a team assuming let's just let's just dream a little dream. You <laughs> beat the Cubs. Is there a team you'd rather see in the uh NLCS Nationals or Dodgers?
1: I think uh I might rather see the the Nationals just because they've lost Ramos and they've lost Strasbourg and Harper doesn't look right. Uh but Part of me kind of just wants to see the Dodgers series because I think it would be really fun. So if you're asking me who I think we would be more likely to beat, I think it's the Nationals. But uh, if you want to know uh, which would be more entertaining, I think it's probably the Dodgers.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, that would be fun to see. Dodgers Giants. Apologies to all the Cubs fans uh, in LCS. But I mean, it, uh, I, maybe I think this every year. It just seems like, especially in the NL, there's just good matchups. However, this is going to shake out this year. There's a lot to be excited about, um, regardless of who ends up coming out of these series.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I didn't. I mean, I've said earlier in the predictions thing that I didn't quite buy the Rangers, and I just uh, yeah sort of feel like the AL's not quite maybe is as, as equal uh and maybe the Red sox are kind of blowing it anyway with I thought their offense would be great, and they've you know didn't score any runs last night, so this is the post season i guess, but uh yeah, I certainly feel like the the n l matchups kind of feel really close and and intense and there's some good rivalry there, so uh obviously we've got I thought the Jays Rangers would be great, but it just looks like the Jays are going to crush them. So that's kind of, it seems to be going out with a damp squib, which I'm hoping for the Rangers come back now. I don't know how you feel about it.
0: Yeah, no, just from the, the, I mean, I was excited when that matchup got set, just thinking of what happened, you know, last year. And then obviously they fight, the fight they got in this year. And then, oh, we're going to get, you know, three to five games of this again. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Ray Toronto's just come out and, kind of just um ended games quick scored quick got up big and uh i mean of the series it seems like by far one i thought would have the most dramas had the the least amount and i don't know that i've given that series much of a second thought after now that toronto's beaten hamels and beaten darvish and it's yeah it's tough to have much hope for texas at this point i think
1: but with the uh the sort of the homer spike this year and now the Jays just seeming like every single player in their lineup can homer every at bat. Is there like a sense there that this is, you know, is this kind of, is anybody getting bored of this? Do you think that, you know, the Jays, I mean, Darvish didn't seem to pitch that badly yesterday. I know he missed a few spots, but he, yeah, four home runs later and it was all over.
0: Uh, I don't think so. Okay. So personally, um, no, I don't think I am. Um, you know, as I mentioned, that game, uh, I don't even know what today is. So Thursday, um, you know, at that game, uh, three three or four Indians homered. Uh, you know, the Red Sox had a couple. So uh, just from a, a a watching the game perspective, I think it it added a lot of excitement. Uh, Dave Cameron wrote something yesterday over at FanGraphs uh, about kind of the odd thing about this being uh, how many – how many of these home runs seem to be coming from people you wouldn't expect? And so he looked at uh, postseason home runs and who's hitting them. Um, I don't know the stat right off the top of my head, but it was something like you know half of the postseason home runs that have been hit uh, have been by guys who didn't have double-digit home runs in the regular season, who had WRC pluses under 100, And so, I mean, you had kind of the guys you would expect. Yeah, there's been a few of those. uh, But there's been just as many of the uh, Connor Gillespie type home runs that have added a little uh, excitement entry. I don't know what words you would use, but it's definitely been um, not just more home runs, but a lot of unexpected home runs so far over the past week.
1: Yeah, Darvish certainly looked a bit kind of... uh baffled almost uh, like he couldn't believe Pilar and uh, Ezequiel Carrera homering off him yesterday and I think both times he just sort of looked a bit like uh, you know he couldn't really believe the ball had gone over the fence I know it's, it's a nice place to to hit but uh, yeah I think both of those guys did hardly hit any home runs in the I think Pilar hadn't hit one for three months maybe so I, he did sort of just look a bit taken aback that they'd actually uh, managed to get over the fence at all yeah and it's I mean
0: like I said I it, it's been kind of nice to just see some differences in games so you had you know the Mets Giants wild card game you have to see this incredible pitching game between two of these uh, dominant starters uh you've seen some high offense games and so uh it'll be interesting moving forward I mean I don't I don't know if I've ever looked at how much the weather uh affects uh offense and home runs but Uh, someone mentioned the other day that if we get a Cleveland Chicago World Series it could be one of the coldest World Series we've ever had in history uh, given those locations and so I'd be curious to see what uh, just that kind of atmosphere might do to this high home run uh, year we've had from teams.
1: Yeah it would certainly be interesting. I don't know uh, how much research has been done with this ball and uh, how it whether it's any different maybe so in, you're in one of those climate. the ball people huh well i mean <laughs> the thing is like i've seen some other things where people suggested that tom tango had quite a good piece i read recently about you know alternative explanations players adapting their approach to hit at different launch angles uh things like that uh, but when you have guys like Freddie galvis hitting 20 home runs that's when i kind of go well i can kind of buy that maybe some players will have changed their approach but Ken Freddy Galvis is like nobody ever thought he was a 20 home run here uh, and he doesn't do anything else well this season except hit home runs so that's kind of what makes me think that there is a systematic change across the league and, and the only thing that could have changed systematically across the league is the ball so yeah, who knows that they can continue to deny that nothing's changed. But uh, at this stage, if you tell me that Freddie galveston has got 20 home runs, I think something funny is going on.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. It was uh, when Brandon and I went to the the pitch talks panel. Uh, yeah, Rob Arthur is definitely on the side of, and I think he wrote the piece. Uh, I may, I think it was for the Ringer at the time. Uh, really getting into this, and it was almost a. As players saw the ball jumping a little farther, that you had some adjustments that they were making, so it almost went in hand with uh, they noticed something potentially, and I might not be saying this as he would, but they noticed something different about the ball, which caused them to change their approach. And so now you have a couple of factors at play leading to, uh, yeah, what we've seen, this spike in uh, home runs. And as they mentioned on Effectively Wild the other day, especially from guys you – wouldn't expect or guys who had career years uh you know like a, a brian dozier who was over 40 this year or i hate watch the cardinals a lot and it seemed like every time i turned on jed jorko was hitting another home <laughs> run and so uh yeah just just weird guys who just seem to be crushing the ball this year
1: as a, a reds fan and uh they set the record didn't they i think for most home runs given up by a bullpen that a lot of home Did run you? records this year <laughs> yeah did you were there a lot where you sort of saw it come off the bat and you didn't think it was going to be a home run and then it ended up over the fence anyway or was it is it impossible to tell the difference
0: uh I think a couple weeks in I just started to assume every fly ball was going to be a home run <laughs> and it was just uh i mean it was uh, an historically bad pitching staff with uh one of the the best home run environments in baseball at great american ballpark uh kind of all came together in this uh Not beautiful, but just this mess of uh, a ton of of home runs, and it settled down a little bit toward the end of the season. Um, But, yeah, I just got to the point where I assumed if somebody made contact, it was probably going to be a home run, Uh, and that typically was right most of the time as they set uh, a bullpen record for most home runs allowed, uh, an entire pitching staff record for most home runs allowed. Uh, So there was plenty of time to think about that this year. (laughs)
1: Was yeah, it's, uh, it was I, quite incredible. I was
0: gonna say I was gonna look up the actual what the record ended up being. Um, yeah, it, was, it seemed like they were on pace for you know almost from the first week of the season, really. So they, it looks like they set the the record on September twentieth, uh, when they gave up their two hundred and forty second home run of the year. <laughs> uh, and that was in a game against the Cubs. And then let me see where it ended up. So, yeah, 242 set the team record. And I actually remember that because the Cubs just dominated the Reds this year. Um, and then, yeah, so as a staff, they ended up giving up. Oh, here we go. They gave up t- 258 home runs this year. So, they. Uh, <laughs> it's incredible. It really is, um, yeah, so they they by far have set a record that I don't think is going to be touched for some time.
1: Yeah, over one and a half a game is pretty incredible, really. (laughs) They also
0: also led the league in walks 636, which I don't know if that's a lot, but that seems like a lot. It was 30 more than the second-place team, so it it can't be much worse next year is what I've told myself a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, that seems like a, a fairly safe thing to say. You would like to think it wouldn't be. <laughs> you would uh, like I wanted to it. You, you mentioned uh, hate-watching the Cardinals. Is that you just sit there and you will them to lose? or All the time. Something? Yeah, that's just what you like to do. And I get how petty it seems because you get to
0: a spot where it was clear the Reds were out and I was—I almost had more of a rooting interest in making sure St. Louis didn't go to the postseason. Um. And normally, most years, that doesn't work. And they work their magic and get in the postseason. And I had nightmares about them making this miraculous World Series run. But uh, I, I'll admit, I smiled a little bit the day they were, the day they were eliminated.
1: <laughs> Did you enjoy Deadspin's coverage this season? Were you a fan of their I thought it was hilarious. And so
0: for those of you who don't know, uh, Deadspin basically just wrote an article every day that the Cardinals lost. And they didn't really tell people what they were doing. It was just uh, there would almost be like a game recap, but they wouldn't say anything when they won. Um, and I would recommend. I think a, like a week ago they put an article up of all the the feedback they had gotten from those posts throughout the year. Um, and I I get that there's a subset of every fan base like this, but it was some pretty some pretty funny responses to uh, people as they began to figure out what Deadspin was doing by recapping only Cardinals losses all season yeah that was really good uh, I recommend everybody read that <laughs> do you have a hate watch team or is it too hard at 2 a.m. to be that invested in a team losing
1: uh yeah I don't know that I have the same level of of hatred for anyone I guess we get it more with football over here uh okay uh, if Arsenal lose then uh, you know as a Tottenham fan then we're quite pleased about it. I think the the worst example I've ever seen was uh, I lived in, in Liverpool for a year. Uh, and it, it wasn't even Man U or Everton at that point. Uh, they really hated Chelsea. I think uh, Mourinho had wound them up over some things. And that that was in the period I think they sort of seemed to keep playing each other all the time. They had some really contentious I think that was when they uh, played. Not long after they played in the the Champions League, maybe, and they faced each other in like a really contentious League Cup final. And I think almost every time they played, there was some kind of argument or dispute or you know referee blew uh, some kind of call or something. And uh, so this was the most happy I ever saw the Liverpool fans at Liverpool was not during a Liverpool game, but when Barcelona knocked Chelsea out of the Champions League in the semi-final with a a last-minute goal from Iniesta. And they they just went nuts. I don't know if I've ever seen a fan base that excited from something that had nothing to do with their team. It was incredible. Uh, well, and I didn't honestly. I didn't. I kind of went off Liverpool quite a lot from living in the city because they did seem to derive a lot more enjoyment out of other teams uh, losing than Liverpool winning, and it kind of put me off them a bit.
0: And I completely understand how petty this makes me sound and hates a strong word, but yeah, there's just been enough history with the Cardinals and the Reds that uh, do you have I mean do you care much if the Dodgers win at all or is it it just hasn't gotten to that I guess when you win three World Series in six years it's hard to be that upset about anything
1: yeah I mean I'm not like uh sort of um, f- the kind of fan who's incredibly uh you know wins or uh lives and dies by the team anyway so it's not the kind of thing where I'm like I'm willing the Dodgers to lose every game and and some of the my favorite players you know our Dodgers players uh, I love watching Kershaw uh, and you know I, I love uh, there are Arsenal players that uh Berg, Dennis Bergkamp and Thierry Henry are two of my favorite football players ever even though they're Arsenal uh, players because I just like watching good football and I like watching good baseball so I'm not really the kind of fan who does that very often uh, obviously if I'm given a, a choice um then I would rather the Giants win the division But I think the success helps, definitely. Even though they've been the better team uh, in the regular season over the last few years, uh, obviously we have the the three World Series and it's kind of a a funny thing among Giants fans to sort of uh, mock the Dodgers for never being able to get it done in the postseason these days. So I think we do have the upper hand and maybe it would be different if uh, they kind of came out and won a couple of World Series over the next few years and we didn't win one for a while. But um, it's probably going to be a few years before I get to that point, I think. You couldn't. I was making coffee as you were saying that. That
0: wasn't too <laughs> distracting, right?
1: Is this the kind of? I know people uh, on a lot of baseball podcasts talk about what beer they're drinking. I know you guys have done it sometimes. Have, have you done coffee before? What coffee are you drinking?
0: We haven't. This is a. I'm at my my parents' house, so I'm going to a Kentucky football game today. Um, it was whatever he had for the Keurig. It was a French roast, kind of a basic thing. But uh, yeah, usually I will drink between. 30 to 40 ounces of coffee before lunch usually which i'm sure can't be good for me um, <laughs> but it's kind of and then usually i know at lunchtime I, it's time to switch over to diet coke and then at six o'clock i can switch over safely to beer so i have a fairly uh, regular drink system in place for the day but are you much of a coffee person
1: no, not at all, actually. I, I never drink coffee. I really like like coffee cake, um, coffee-flavored things I, I like, but I've <laughs> never really got on board with actually just drinking a cup of coffee. So I, I just drink tea, uh, which is obviously now uh, I'm a British cliche. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just for my caffeine intake is just tea, no coffee at all. I had some black tea last night watching the game, and uh, I,
0: I did it. I don't know why I thought this, because I assumed it didn't have caffeine in it. And I told my wife that and she laughed pretty hard and it didn't affect me trying to go to sleep, but, um, yeah, I'll do, I'll do a nice tea. What, a! it's what I'm going to sound so stupid. Almost lunchtime there.
1: Uh, yeah, close. Just coming up to, to 12 now. So lunchtime fairly soon. Yeah. Do you have big lunch plans today? Uh, I don't know exactly what lunch will be. Uh, I think we're going we're gonna to go out after lunch, but um, I haven't actually planned lunch itself. So I, I'm sure culturally it's not that different,
0: and I don't know why I'm interviewing you like I'm trying to discover all these <laughs> new things about.
1: It's, it's quite funny. I had someone, uh, do you know what uh, duck pin bowling is? Uh, is it like the miniature bowling Yeah, so uh, one of the guys, I'm on the fantasy podcast with uh, Chuck Anderson uh, over at Friends with Fantasy Benefits. I was on one with him, just me and him, a few weeks ago. And I think he got the impression that it was really big over here. And we do have, like, miniature bowling, but I've never heard anybody call it duckpin bowling. So he was kind of like, oh, do you do do duckpin bowling? And I was really, I think I really disappointed him because I just had no idea what it was. Uh, So that was uh, kind of uh, a letdown for him, I think. but. (laughs) So if I
0: ever come over, don't the duck pin bowling scene is not something I should look forward to? Uh,
1: No, I wouldn't say so. I mean, maybe I've been looking in the wrong places. We have regular bowling, and I think if you go, I mean, I live near the sea, so there are arcades and stuff, and they do have the miniature bowling there. But uh, yeah, I don't think it's a a real thing, and I don't know where duck pin bowling comes from because I've never seen that. You know, they don't have a... A sign over the top saying duck pin bowling or anything I, it's just you know bowling <laughs> look at what we're so, yeah that was a, a new thing for me
0: now i think we've heard rumors you'll be making your first trip to the states in a year or maybe not your first trip
1: uh yeah so my first trip was this april uh but well, yeah i'll be actually coming to chicago so hopefully uh, brandon can show me all the hot spots uh, i've got a wedding friend of mine is uh, marrying uh, an american woman and her family are from the chicago area i think so they're doing the wedding out there in in chicago itself uh, so we're going to make a drip out of it and uh, hopefully uh, we're going to do a, a cubs white Sox double header because the giants are actually in town just under a week uh, after the wedding. So hopefully we're going to stick around long enough, uh, see the Cubs play in the early game, and then go and see the Giants play the White Sox later in the day. So it's working out quite well at the moment. Yeah, so he, he said that. I, I
0: mean, there's rumors there's going to be a group of us able to do that. I've never done the day-night White Sox-Cubs doubleheader, but um, you'll get, uh, you'll get to be there at the inaugural season of Guaranteed Rate Field. So that's exciting. Um, have you... What's have you ever done anything like a day night? I don't know. What's the the most live sports you packed into a short period of
1: time? Uh, yeah, live is difficult. Really, I'm trying to think. I've never been to like two football matches consecutive in person. Days. Yeah, I mean there are there are definitely weeks uh, here sort of around when the FA Cup starts that kind of time in in the Champions League, uh, there would be weeks where we would watch at least one football game every day of the week and sometimes more. And obviously with the World Cup, uh, when I was at university and the World Cup was on, that was just it for the day. You know, We would be watching football for eight hours a day. Um, But in terms of going to multiple live sporting events, I guess Wimbledon is the closest thing you can get to watching sport all day because if you get the grounds passed, you can just go around all the courts and see everything. So I've done that a couple of times. That's really good fun. Um, but it's not going between different things. Uh, it's just watching tennis at the same place for about, uh, eight or nine hours. So that's, I guess the closest I've got to doing something like that. Yeah. I think the closest
0: I've been, uh, I mean, we, I, I talked about the people earlier this season, we did kind of a, a four day baseball trip this year, but I was in college and Griffey was at 499 home runs and i was staying at home which was about an hour and a half from cincinnati so i went to the first game they were playing the rangers of a series uh he didn't hit it and so it it turned into i just went to all three or four games and so i'd drive up to cincinnati go to the game drive home sleep wake up have lunch go to the game <laughs> uh and he never did it and so it was a uh, way more nerve-wracking than a midsummer doesn't matter in the standings Reds game should have been, but there was it was definitely a disappointing drive home that third or fourth day heading home without him having hit that five hundredth
1: home run. Yeah, I could imagine that was quite frustrating. (laughs) Well and I
0: did have this moment yesterday, which it obviously wasn't live, but during the Giants Cubs game where I had this thought of I've either I've been watching or listening to baseball since one o'clock in the afternoon and it was creeping toward midnight and I wasn't upset about it. But this is, I think this is definitely prime time for baseball fans. If I don't think the schedule sets up that way today, but uh, Friday was definitely, if you enjoy baseball, there was plenty to, to see and listen to.
1: Yeah, this is ideal for me uh, in one sense because they've got the, the staggered games and the first game starts pretty early. So I come, I do come home from work a bit earlier on Friday. So I was able to watch a good sort of six hours of baseball uh, yesterday, which I don't normally get to do even on Sundays because uh, uh, I normally have to get up for work on the Monday. So I can't stay up as late uh, and watch uh, as much baseball. But uh, yeah, these games, and I think Monday is the same, isn't it? Uh, the four playoff game day. So, they're really good. Is there anybody
0: over there talking about the playoffs? Can you talk to anybody or is it just this is completely
1: lost on most people? Uh, like, I couldn't, there would be very few, like, random people on the street. I couldn't, like, talk to people at work about it, really. Um, I have been doing this uh, UK uh, podcast and blog, so I do have a few guys now that I know that I can chat to about it uh, over the internet and, and on the podcast and that, but I don't really know anybody here who I could have a conversation like this with uh, about baseball. Uh, almost all of my conversations about baseball are done through podcasts, so let's uh, say
0: <laughs> Could you walk into a bar and ever have a chance of a game being on? Uh,
1: Probably not here. Uh, If I was to go to London or maybe some of the other bigger cities uh, and I knew the right place to go, uh, if it wasn't on, perhaps if it was a bigger sports bar, they might put it on. But it would, again, depend on what was happening uh you know if there were football games on or, or cricket or something that was a, a big series then they probably wouldn't do it anyway um but certainly not i mean there's, there aren't really very many big places here in north wales anyway so i very much doubt that i could find anywhere that would show baseball
0: so you must be very committed to do what you do <laughs> i think that's
1: what we've all learned today yeah it's uh definitely not the easiest sport to follow but i think if i'd started doing it uh 15 years ago or something and without MLB TV it would be a nightmare that makes it a lot easier that's true and I feel like it's kind of the reverse
0: for American Premier League fans because your schedule over there works great for me because it's usually at 9 a.m. Saturday mornings here I can wake up I have breakfast there's games on um, and then it's done by lunch and so I mean, I don't think this is entirely the reason, but part of the reason uh, Premier League has exploded in the States being um, it's, a, it's a super accommodating schedule for most people, um, which I know this has been talked about, but you turn it on, you know, it's going to be two hours. I know I'm going to have the rest of my day, uh, and it just kind of works as a wake up Saturday morning. It's a part of your, your breakfast. It's a part of waking up, getting up, um, and I think that's definitely helped grow Uh, the interest in it which I'm sure you've been able to to notice
1: yeah it definitely seems like a lot obviously I know a lot of people who follow baseball now and but there do seem to be quite a few who have overlap and a lot of like the beat writers for teams on twitter seem to have a a premier league team that they follow now and there's always a bunch of guys in the effectively wild group who post about uh, sports uh, about uh, football games when they're happening so yeah it does seem like it's got a lot more popular uh, over the last three or four years well, uh anything
0: else you wanted to hit on? Uh I I'll, I'll say this morning, but it's not true for it's, you. But
1: yeah, it's this not morning. this morning anymore for me. It's now it's two minutes past twelve. Uh well I just wanted to ask what maybe what you thought about the uh the whole Britain thing uh and the contrasts of that with uh the usage of Andrew Miller. And I was particularly curious as to whether you think that has any impact on the other managers like is Buck Showalter sitting there watching Andrew Miller pitch two innings in the middle of the game going oh yeah maybe I should have done that or does he just not care does that not even register on his personal radar I would think so I mean I remember watching
0: that Orioles game just being convinced he had to be hurt um, and I think that was kind of what Twitter began to tell itself was he had gotten up and warmed up. Something must be wrong. There's no reason. And then you watch the post press conference when they're asking him, you know, why didn't Britain get into the game? Um, and I don't, I don't know that he had a super clear answer. Um, I think at one point he told a writer who was asking, uh, you know, I I get the world that you live in. And so you have to ask about this. And um, almost as if these Hypothetical discussions of bullpen usage don't actually touch on what he's uh, experiencing doing, but but yeah, to me it made it made no sense, especially when you know Jimenez is your best option um, to just go to Britain, try and get through a few innings, and yeah, I think the the antithesis of that was what you saw uh, Thursday in Cleveland, uh, middle of the fifth, I think it was the fifth, uh, and Francona brings Andrew Miller in. Um, And I'll say this, there was a lot of surprise in the stadium that he would go to him so early. And so I think most of us who kind of write and talk about this thought that was a great decision to use Miller there for a few innings. Um, You know, it wasn't with the uh, ability to look back on the game, it wasn't, you know, the highest leverage spot he could have used him. Uh, But Joe Sheehan wrote yesterday that, you know, using leverage index to think about bullpen usage is great for us because we can see the entire game and how it played out. Uh, but for him, he just decided we need a few scoreless innings. So we're going to use him. I thought it was great. Um, but again, I think for the general baseball fan, um, I think they almost would understand Showalter's decision more than Francona's just from how many people I saw Thursday night. Just, were very surprised he would go to Miller that early.
1: Yeah, I saw, uh, I can't remember which comments section it was, but it might even have been on Sam's uh, ESPN article uh, and somebody uh, calling Familia the best closer in the NL, presumably just because he had the most saves. And that kind of reminded me that... (laughs) Oh, yeah. actually nobody else is sitting there going uh, looking at uh, other numbers than saves they just saw that familiar had 50 plus saves and they called him the the best closer in the nl uh and so that kind of reminded me that uh, you know we kind of maybe live in this bubble a lot of the time and uh, this isn't how people think about it but when you were at uh, at the game were there people kind of uh, sort of in that um same mindset could you hear people saying oh this is a big mistake and they're going to regret using miller uh, I, I don't know if it was as, uh, skeptical as much as just surprise, and I think what helps
0: the Indians is they also have Cody Allen. So I think people knew, okay, there's still uh, quote unquote our closer who can come in, um, which helped. Which I knew as soon in that as, in that wild card game, as soon as Familia gave up that home run, um, I cringed because I kind of knew the takes that were coming of, you know, well he used his closer in the situation and it didn't work out, and uh, almost resetting the conversation in some ways but um obviously the fact that Cleveland won I think helped deflect any criticism that might have come from using him that early um and yeah I mean to me it was just kind of a a refreshing I know there have been some interesting things about how they've used Miller this year multiple innings earlier in games he's kind of been flexible um and so it's it's been interesting to watch and it'll be interesting to see moving forward is how Miller's been used in Cleveland kind of a an important transition for how do we think about relief usage when they're used, how often, uh, and maybe this kind of moves the conversation forward a little bit.
1: Yeah, you'd like to think so. I wonder whether the fact that Allen is still there If people still think he's the closer, whether they won't change what they think because they don't think, oh, here's Miller the closer coming in the fifth. They think here's Miller who's not the closer. He's just another reliever coming in the fifth. Oh, yeah. I think I would say most fans
0: that I was around that night, yeah, Cody Allen's the closer. So that helped to deflect any criticism, questioning, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. We would obviously uh, preach process over results. And I think in one sense... That is sort of what guys like Showalter are doing, I think, (laughs) in in a very flawed way. But they obviously they believe in this process. And I do sort of wonder, like, no matter how many times this happens, he's going to stick with that process, uh, even though we we obviously think uh, sabermetrically that's the wrong decision. And in a way, he's kind of is following that process over results uh, mantra, really. Well, and it was interesting to watch. I
0: don't know if you saw the panel discussion after that game, uh, but the the studio show that followed the wildcard game, uh, there was a, uh, the guy hosting it whom I'm blanking on, but on the panel was, I believe it was Gary Sheffield, Pedro Martinez, and somebody else, but I was so surprised by how... Okay, the player's worth it. Were with it almost to the point of defending it. Is of course this is what he's going to do here. This is the way you handle closers in a road situation. And so, um, yeah, I would say within the baseball world, I doubt there was the level of uh, frustration that there was on Twitter the night of that wild card game.
1: Do you think if they like played the World Series at a neutral venue, what would the managers do? Do they would they still think of it as a road game? <laughs> yeah that's interesting uh my guess is they'd be less
0: inclined but uh, yeah i don't really know um hopefully i mean you could one of two things is going to happen uh you can look at the way terry collins used familia and he ended up blowing that wild card game and that Entrenches some managers in their mindset. And obviously, one moment's not going to do this. But so there's that contrasted with Miller and his success and the way he was used over a couple of innings. Um, and it, yeah, I'd be interested to know how people feel about this. Let's get to the end of this postseason. And presumably, if it's um, Cleveland, which I mean, there's still a, a long way to go, uh, it would be fun to see Miller on a national stage and kind of how that's perceived, accepted, questioned by a national audience and media watching that maybe hasn't paid that much attention to what Frank Cohn has done with him over the course of this year.
1: Yeah, I, I certainly think something that we get from following baseball the way we do is much more of an overview than a lot of fans get. And you do kind of get, I get the impression that so many fans know about their team and their division and that's it. Uh, And so it will be interesting to see whether they have any kind of response to that usage and whether they start wondering whether their team's manager would do that more often with their relievers. Yeah, I will say this about Miller. Uh, As he trotted out of the bullpen,
0: my wife looked at me and said, he's really tall. And and the (laughs) funny thing was I looked at Twitter and there were actually a few people watching the game. I mean, people who very clearly knew who Andrew Miller was, um, who had that same reaction of he just comes off as this i mean not bulky but just this this massive guy um more so maybe than others and so yeah i mean seeing him live it's there's definitely something imposing about just his size as he comes on the mound which um i think you can pick up a little bit on tv but it's it's fairly impressive when you see it live watching him come into a game
1: yeah, there are some guys like that. Uh, I don't know if you remember Tom Huddleston. He used to play for Spurs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he's obviously—I could tell he was a big guy on TV. But when I went to a game and saw him in person, he was like one, one of those players who were like, "Oh wow, he's a really big guy." <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So,
0: and I'll—I mean, I—I I think I've seen David Ortiz live, but he was another one who, when he came to the plate, it was like this is just a a different type of human being than everybody else who's come to the plate at this point. Um, I mean, there was a noticeable difference between him and and the other batters.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I saw the Patriots uh, at Wembley a few years back as well. And uh, Gronk was the same kind of guy, even with the other big players. He was uh, one of these guys who you could just sort of tell was absolutely massive.
0: Well, kind of with that, uh, things are starting to stir at my house. Kids are finally waking up. So uh, we're about an hour. Why don't we go ahead and wrap this up? Anything you want to uh, promote, let people know about uh, as we uh, get ready to sign off here?
1: Uh, So, yeah, I'll have those predictions up on the site. uh, Hopefully uh, in the next day or two, Uh, they're all ready to go. So just get Ken to have a look at those, make sure they're ready to go up. Um, So if you want to check out how we've already got on. Uh, who did good and bad then they'll be up on Banish to the Pen um, I've also been doing some stuff for the uh, UK blog that I mentioned Batflips and Nerds so you can find them uh, on Twitter at Batflips nerds. we've got a few podcasts out including a, a fun one we did a few weeks ago with uh, an Angels minor leaguer called Jordan, Jordan Serena which was fun uh, and then I also do some fantasy stuff uh, over at Friends with Fantasy Benefits so uh, we will be doing a bit less over the off season obviously but um, we're still going to do uh, a podcast every week there Uh, and I should be on alternate weeks there. So uh, go check all those out, and you can find me on Twitter at DariusA64. Okay, and my name's
0: uh, Eric Roseberry. Uh, You can find me at Red Reporter uh, and Call to the Pen. Uh, Now, Call to the Pen covering uh, general playoff stuff. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Eric Roseberry, uh, and I would uh, love to touch base with you there. Uh, make sure to follow uh, Banish to the Pin. Uh, you can find the podcast in the iTunes store. Uh, rate and review us. That really helps us out. Uh, and Ryan Sullivan should be back uh, probably next week uh, with another Banish to the Pin podcast. So, uh, Darius, I had fun. I enjoyed this. Uh, everybody else, yeah, was enjoy great. the postseason. Uh, thanks for
1: having me. It was uh, good to chat to you. And hope uh, you yeah,
0: Yeah, yeah, it was, it was great. So, uh, well, uh, with that, uh, we will sign off and we'll see you guys next week.